0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to James Cameron's Titanic, scene by scene. I'm Brittany Butler.
1: I'm Ethan Brim.
0: And today we have a special guest with us on the podcast. I'm very excited. It's always fun when we have people come on here to talk Titanic with us. So today... The guest we have on, I found them because I had stumbled across an episode of the Next Best Picture podcast where they were talking about the 25th anniversary of Titanic, and they had a couple different guests on, and one of them had so much passion and enthusiasm for the movie, and I just loved it because it's... One of those we we talk about it all the time. It's one of those movies that is known to have a lot of detractors, and it was just so nice on this particular podcast to just hear nothing but love and so many of you just outright saying that it is the best movie ever. And I I was like, yes, so that was so great to hear. And I was like, okay, I got to have one of these people on the podcast. So I said, I'm gonna write. To Lauren and ask her if she wants to come on <laughs> and here you are so yeah today we have Lauren Cohen with us not to be confused with Lauren Cohan from The Walking Dead yes when you google me
2: all that comes up is Lauren Cohan yeah. from The Walking Dead it's spelled yeah. a little differently I'm like not me wish it was <laughs>
0: <laughs> And I was gonna say I wonder if she gets mistaken sometimes because of all the time. name
2: that's funny welcome to the podcast how are you Thank you. I'm great. I was so excited when I found out about your podcast because Titanic is my life. <laughs> it's like, you know, at this point, it's like my my personality, my identity. Someone's like, oh, what do, you, what do you like? I'm just like, I like Titanic. That should just sum up everything you need to know about me as a human. Uh, Titanic origin story said so we talk about that. So, um, yes, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I was eight years old when Titanic came out, and um, everyone was excited for it, but I saw this movie and it's like a, a a very clear shift like before Titanic and after Titanic
0: did I not say the same exact
2: thing? <laughs>
1: no, yeah.
2: I said the same thing. My life is before Titanic and before after Titanic. Titanic. And after Titanic. It was like I was not alive until I was eight, and then I was eight, and I totally lost my goddamn mind. And, I, and the way I describe it is like Titanic imprinted on my brain. Like something happened. It's definitely not normal. <laughs> but um, Titanic imprinted on my brain, and it was all I thought about, all I ever cared about. Um, but, I mean, look, everyone... My age had a Titanic phase. It's just, I think some of us have the phase on a deeper or more intense level, and then it never went away. Right. (laughs) So, all my friends, they still like love it. Like, if they hear about it, all Titanic, but they're like over it. They're like, I don't need to watch it again. I've seen it enough. Can't relate. (laughs) No, for me, I was like, oh my God, like, for the month leading up to its 25th anniversary re release. I was like not okay. I was like I can't handle the fact that I'm about to see it on the big screen again. The fact that I'm allowed to be talking about Titanic this much. It's like I felt like I had like an open window to be obsessed with it again. But yeah, I saw it when I was eight. Became totally obsessed. I remember starting like the Leonardo DiCaprio fan club with my friends because of course a level of Titanic always comes back to like Leonardo DiCaprio obsession, <laughs> especially for an eight year old girl. Um, and. Then I think I remember telling my my friend and I were like, we're going to recreate the movie Titanic in her pool. We're going to film it. I remember printing out, like, every single page of the script because I found a (laughs) website that had it. Then my parents, like, grounded me because they're like, you cannot print that much stuff out of our (laughs) printer. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> Especially not in the 90s. Or like okay, yeah, in the 90s. Like
2: that was not, that wasn't going to fly. So that movie didn't get made, unfortunately. I'm <laughs> sure it would have been a hit. <laughs> but yeah, no. And then even even now, like, look, Leonardo DiCaprio is my is my guy forever. For birthday gifts, if someone doesn't know what to buy me, they just buy me different items. Leonardo, like right now, for the people listening to the podcast, a friend just made me a Leonardo DiCaprio in Titanic phone case. Love it. One friend made me Leonardo DiCaprio and Titanic earrings out of clay. One friend made me Leonardo DiCaprio bed sheets. I don't use them. Disclaimer. I swear I'm not that creepy. Um, I, didn't, I didn't like. I told them I didn't make them. Someone made it for me. That's that's more normal. <laughs> I just have so much weird uh, Titanic related stuff around my house. Yeah, I just I love it so much. I think it's the greatest movie ever made. And I think when you really love Titanic, I think you're able to joke about it.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And I think that's one of my favorite things is that like there is not one thing in the world i would change about this movie there's so much dialogue that i think is so silly and it just makes me love it more at this point it is not a flaw it is just like james cameron dialogue billy zane hamming it up all of it 10 out of 10. Perfection.
0: I'm so glad you mentioned that, because over these last few episodes since we've come back, I've been sharing cut lines of dialogue from the screenplay. Amazing. It's, some of which are just absolutely bonkers. <laughs> and it's just insane that they were ever even written to begin with. And I'll share them and we just get a good laugh out of them. But I love that. Yeah, it's great. But again, yeah, the way you said that we could joke about it. I said that on our last episode that haters, they can't do that because it's coming from a negative place. But yes. us fans, we can do that because it's always coming from a place of love.
2: Place of love. I love the. I love those lines of dialogue. I love it. <laughs>
0: it's great. I remember I was... Gonna say another disclaimer as well, because I wanna make sure people know that this podcast is called James Cameron's <laughs> Titanic, Scene by Scene. We are mainly dedicated to discussing the movie as a piece of popular culture. Um, and everything that comes along with that and you know so that means things like memes like jokes like whatever like the movie still <laughs> presents a lot of fun to be had even though the subject matter is obviously serious there is a true story at the core of this movie the movie itself still presents a lot of fun to be had when it comes to discussion uh, you know with Jack and Rose and all the dialogue like you said like again we're not hating we have a love for it. But, you know,
2: there's still so much
0: fun to be had. So if we're laughing and stuff, we're not... We're
2: not laughing at the the tragedy of the Titanic. We're laughing at... Exactly. There was a movie made about it. And I think (laughs) one of the things I love about Titanic is how much humor is injected into it. Mm -hmm. Even in the dramatic... You know, in in the scene we're going to discuss today, there are are funny moments of levity in it. So I think that's kind of the the thing that made people love it so much. It, It doesn't hit a point where it's so upsetting that you can't even... you have moments where he kind of gives you a second to laugh, even though everything is so intense and getting worse and worse.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess before we get into the scene, is there anything else you want to share? Because I know you're involved with film on some level. I don't really... Oh,
2: yeah. So I saw Titanic, became obsessed with movies, and I'm like, I'm going to work in film. No idea what I want to do, just knew that I needed to do something related to movies. And so I started working for Miami Film Festival, um, where I'm the director of programming. Uh, for Miami Film Festival, so I pretty much curate the entire um, film festival and program from the ground up, which, you know, is watching all the movies and deciding what comes to the festival, um, deciding what guests we're going to bring to the festival in honor and all that kind of good stuff. So, and, you know, if it were up to me, it would be opening night, closing night, Titanic every single year. (laughs) (laughs) But I think I lose my job. And I'm also a, a contributor to the Next Best Picture podcast and website.
0: That's awesome. Very cool. And I, I, I love the way like Titanic can have such a jumping off point for those of us who love it. Like you said, there are people who like Titanic and have like a little phase. But for those of us that it really sticks with, it can really shape our lives. It
2: does. I swear what I do, I, I would not work where I work right now if it were not for Titanic. I would I would love movies, but I would be like a normal movie-loving person. (laughs) You'd be a normal person. (laughs) I'd be a normal person in general, not who I am right
1: now. (laughs) Oh, that's great. I've never seen it.
0: (laughs) Ethan with the jokes. (laughs) Always. So, getting right into the scene. So, firstly, we have you on for this scene because when I had reached out to you and was like, hey, would you like to be on the podcast? Maybe... Pick a scene or, like, throw a scene out that you'd maybe want to discuss. This was one of the scenes you suggested. Oh, yeah. And I'm just calling it Open the Gate because we're starting it right here. <laughs> and I am curious exactly what it is about this scene that you love and why you, you know, would want to discuss this one in particular. <laughs> but we'll get to that in a moment. So, starting off, we pick up with... Jack, Rose, Tommy, and Fabrizio running around the third class hallways, trying to find a way out, trying to find a way up to the decks. We were saying in one of the last episodes that it's just great how everybody just follows Jack.
2: Jack is there. He knows the direction,
0: he knows what to do. Well, let's go this way. And everyone just is like, okay, cool. <laughs> That just happens when you're sure of yourself like that. Everyone just (laughs) follows Jack Dawson. So that's pretty much what's going on right now. They're coming to different little intersections and deciding where to go. And And while they're running around, we see them pass a few different walks of life on the Titanic, which I always thought was very nice and Mm kind of like a, a casual way to depict the various walks of life on the ship, some of which are a little lesser known there's a lot of myths that go around on social media all the time, like only white people were allowed on Titanic, all these awful things that go viral all the time. And I'm like, can we not do this? So I'm glad that James Cameron at least, you know, thought to include this Syrian family who are using a translator. Yeah. yeah. A translation book, mm-hmm. um, trying to figure out what these signs say, you know, something so small, just that mm-hmm. little inclusion. Uh, just adds to the chaos. Adds to that feeling. You just you feel for that family right away. It just adds another layer. James Cameron really was creating. Like this little world on the Titanic where we see a lot of different background characters and sometimes they'll add up to something later on in the movie, like the Irish mom and her kids or Mm -hmm. one of the people that we see Jack pass by here, the Chinese man, the Asian man with the glasses and the ponytail. I think we mentioned him before, didn't we, Ethan? I think maybe like... Yeah, that
1: sounds familiar. Maybe it be like two years ago. Maybe. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. it would have been like way back because uh, mm-hmm. they've passed him a few times. They passed him in the scene where Jack and Fabrizio are trying to find their cabin way back when they first boarded. They passed by him a little bit in the hallway. He was also seen in the deleted scene that I mentioned in our last episode where the third class band leader and his wife gave Jack and Rose a swig of whiskey or something. Mm-hmm. He's right there as well. And now we see him in this scene. Jack kind of like moves past him and he's just there with the crowd. And again, that's just really interesting because later on, if his scene was not deleted, we would have seen him be rescued. James Cameron filmed a deleted scene of this Chinese passenger Mm. being rescued, similarly to the way Rose is rescued. And I'm pretty sure he's supposed to be representing the real-life passenger, Fang Lang. That's what I... Could find out about it.
1: Who really survived? I'm assuming too.
0: Yep, he really survived. He was one yeah. of six surviving Chinese passengers. There were more than huh. that.
1: But yeah, um, in the at the museum in Pigeon Forge, I think there was there was like a section where it talked about like a group of, uh, I think people from China who were on the Titanic or something
0: mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, must have been. There's yeah. a documentary as well called The Six. Yeah, James Cameron actually hopped on as an executive producer for that documentary. Um, mm-hmm. So that's another cool little inclusion there. And yeah. from my research that I could find, there was actually a total of either 145 to 165 Syrian passengers as well, uh, which is crazy because I yeah. feel like that's yeah. very not known. I feel mm-hmm. like people yeah. people do not know that information. It's a high percentage. Yeah. No, for real. But yeah, and I couldn't find an exact number either. It was either twenty nine or thirty-eight of them survived or were saved. Mm. So that's pretty crazy. And all of them were ticketed third class except for four who were second class. So those are of the Syrian passengers. But yeah, there's just like so many other little bits of information there that are definitely kinda of lost to history. But again, I love that James Cameron at least thought to include something as small as that one scene with that Syrian family, and to include that Chinese man in the background. And then to even actually film that deleted scene, like we say all the time, I am glad that he at least thought to shoot this, write it, and film it, and that it exists, because it does show that he was putting a lot of care and thought into this, you know, because a lot of people come down on Titanic. It's not accurate, like blah, blah, blah.
2: I'm like, no, no, no. Oh, James Cameron would not like that choice of word. <laughs>
1: <laughs> nope. Did we talk about if Jack was named after somebody specific?
0: I don't know if we did.
1: Okay.
0: Is he? <laughs> no, I'm I like, know. Why, why do you mention this? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I have, I have no idea. No, I was, I'm was. i curious if there was like...
0: I think you mean um, Jay Dawson, Joseph Dawson that's a real guy who was on the titanic but james cameron was unaware of joseph dawson's existence when he was writing the movie
1: that's what i was okay okay it sounded kind of familiar but that makes Mm -hmm.
0: sense yeah but the titanic cemetery or the memorial places in in halifax i think And Jay Dawson has a little stone there. And of course, everyone goes flocking to this poor man's um, thing, leaving flowers and and all these things, thinking it's Jack. Oh, Oh, man.
1: (laughs) Lauren, have you been to the Pigeon Forge Museum?
2: No, but I would... It's cool, you should go. I would love to. Yeah,
1: Yeah. there's one in Branson, I think, too, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's also,
2: I think there's a Titanic Museum in Orlando, actually. That they probably they might have like an, ex- an exhibition or something like that yeah, yeah like I think they have like a per what I've been to one of the traveling Titanic exhibitions and mm-hmm. I know they have like the equivalent of like a permanent one I think in Orlando um, Cool. Um that you know now, now that we're talking <laughs> about it, I'm kind of like oh maybe I do have to do that four
1: <laughs> <hour> <laughs> yeah. Drive. it's yeah it's the one in Pigeon Forge is awesome it's w- maybe the best museum I've ever been to and I've been really to museums yeah so
2: that's that's worth a trip
1: <laughs> it's really cool yeah
0: you're, like, one of the biggest promoters of the Pigeon Forge
2: Museum, even.
1: <laughs> I know. I've, I probably mentioned it, like, at least once an episode, I think. But, yeah. <laughs> Anytime really someone fun.
0: comes on, you're like, you gotta get there. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta go. I mean,
2: I, I'm sold. I, when I went to the, the one that, like, the traveling one I went to, In the gift shop, they were selling these, like, necklaces that had a piece of coal from the Titanic in them.
0: I know. Most museums, you can buy, like, a Heart of the Ocean something. Like, a Heart of the Ocean keychain or necklace or something. I have a keychain that my cousin got me from the museum in Belfast. Oh,
2: Um, wow. I would definitely buy that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So, that's cool. Getting back to the scene. So, now they're through running through these hallways and Jack notices a little stairwell and he's like, okay, no, let's go this way. (laughs) So of course they all go and they make it to the top of these stairs where there is another gate, another closed gate uh, with a small congregation of people obviously trying to talk to the steward on the other side of the gate obviously trying to get this man to open it for them again I just kind of get a kick out of the fact that Jack just pushes through this crowd of people goes <laughs> to the front
2: he's like I'm the guy in charge here I'll, I'll get him to open the gate <laughs> he just says over the gate as
0: if these people have not been standing there forever asking the same thing as if
2: those people don't realize we need that gate to be open to have a chance <laughs> to get to the lifeboats.
1: yeah he's like you guys aren't doing it right I'm taking over so
2: no
0: yeah so
2: I love the way He just says, open the gate.
1: It will all get sorted out back there. Go back to the main stairwell. Open the gate. Go back
0: down the main stairwell. Open the gate right now. Go back down the main stairwell like I told you. Let me try this again. Let me try this again. Open the gate right now.
1: (laughs) And I guess that Leo injured himself on this?
0: Yeah, actually. I decided to listen to the cast and crew audio Mm. for this time. It's when they are pulling up the... Bench. Um, Apparently, Jason Barry, who played Tommy, uh, he's the one who shared this story on the commentary, he said that when he was helping to pull the bench, he hit his chin, I believe, and then Leo pulled his shoulder, or like hurt his shoulder or something like that. They did this scene a couple times, I guess, and before one of these takes, they had like ice packs on them and stuff, and then they had to- <laughs> The most
2: injured they get in the whole movie is this little scene pulling a bench yeah. out. In <laughs> the whole
1: movie, this is where <laughs> When
2: James Cameron is like, Trying to give everyone hypothermia. The <laughs> <Yeah. interesting. laughs> it's like, nope, this is where we're
0: getting the injuries from, the bench. <laughs> and I also want to mention Jason Barry is actually Irish. I feel like I mentioned for some reason in a couple way, way, way back in early episodes, I think I said he wasn't actually Irish because... I watched one little interview snippet with him and he didn't sound Irish to me Mm. (laughs) at one point. So I was like, oh, I guess he's not Irish. And I just committed that information to memory. (laughs) But he is. He is Irish. So, so yeah. So Jack's trying to uh, tell the people to open the gate. Open the gate right now. It's not working. So then he just, he loses his cool for the first time in the movie, really. This is the first time we see Jack just kind of go crazy
2: God
0: damn it! Damn this is kind of where i want to put the ball in your court <laughs> lauren for what it is about this that you want to talk about because i feel like you That's said right. that you feel like this is underrated and i want to know why i want to know your thoughts
2: so underrated i mean i was so happy when we were when we were messaging and you said that this is one of your favorite scenes too i feel like as an adult you, that scene that you kind of connect with and and keep going back to and honestly for me i was i was sitting next to my best uh, one of my best friends kai who's also obsessed with titanic that was like we we met like 10 years ago that's what we bonded over we saw the film in its re-release and as soon as that scene came on he just nudges me he's like you're about to you're about to lose it like because uh, to me, that is when every single woman in America, or girl, became a woman. He's so calm this entire movie. I mean, you know, no matter what is going on, he has like a pretty like chill demeanor, very soft, very kind. Even when the ship is sinking and he's in handcuffs, like all this like terrible stuff, he's still like relatively calm, I, I would say, at least mm-hmm. proportional to the situation. And then this scene, it's just like, angry Leo. I fell in love with him in this scene. This was like, there's two scenes that I, I point to that was like, that is when I became obsessed with this man. The first one was when um, right after he saves Rose from going overboard and he asks Lovejoy, he's like, can I bum a smoke? And he takes two cigarettes and he puts one behind his ear. Okay, I love that man, done. And then this scene, I was like, oh, this is when I'm really, really like I'm I'm gone for. And when we recorded the podcast for the next best picture, talking about Titanic, every other... Woman on the podcast was like, Oh my god, the gate scene! (laughs) So clearly, there's something about Angry Leo in this scene.
0: I love that though. Angry Leo, capital A, capital L. Angry Leo.
2: No, it's true. It's Angry Leo, and it's anytime Leo screams. That's like, those are my favorite movie scenes.
1: Yeah, I guess the gate scene got him the role on Wolf of Wall Street. (laughs) Fun fact.
2: Yes, they were like, That guy knows how to be crazy. (laughs) Beyond just loving Leo in that scene, I think. There's also that we see those characters all together again.
1: Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Having
2: Jack, Rose, Fabricio, and Tommy. Because I think the last time we saw them all together again, it was in the happiest scene of the movie, which mm. is the dance party, um, third class, and now we're seeing them all together again. And obviously the mm. entire tone in the movie, the entire movie has shifted from part one of the movie to uh, part two when the ship is sinking. So I think that adds a lot to it. And also the scene that you were talking about before, that's what I have in my notes, is when it flashes to that um, Syrian family. I think that is one of those moments that really, it shows so much of what I admire in James Cameron's filmmaking in that, I think other filmmakers would have background characters, as in people are running around the ship and doing things. But when James Cameron kind of shoots some of these scenes, he has characters that are background characters Technically, obviously, they're not main characters, but they're in the foreground of the scene. And they are, even if it's for five seconds, the main mm-hmm. thing you're watching, and you see Jack and Rose run behind him, or behind that family. Like, the, the thing that is in the frame is the family. And that's the thing he's focused on, even if it's only for a couple seconds. I think he does such a good job capturing the chaos of the ship and the diversity and the other people and experiences that were going on around the the characters that we're really focusing on. So I think he does, in, the, in this three or four minute scene, so much actually really happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
1: it's very George Lucas-esque because, like, in the first Star Wars movie, he does that a ton and he's kind of known for, like, highlighting these just no-line characters and Really mm-hmm. putting them in the forefront of the scenes too.
0: Star Wars mention of the day, Ethan. <laughs> yeah.
1: George Lucas has to be an influence of James Cameron, even though they were like sort of contemporaries, I guess, but
0: Yeah. We usually don't go an episode without mentioning Star Wars like once <laughs> for some reason. Yeah. It just always happens. Another thing about this moment that I like, at least in my notes, I said this is a release right mm-hmm. now. Um, a lot of, you know, pent up frustration after being told no and being stuck in this situation. You know, there's nothing they can do. Like they're just in third class in the movie. You know, they they can't get to where they deserve to be able to go uh, to get a chance to live. Um, so this is just a total release of that. And we're kind of right there with them. You know, he takes matters into his own
2: hands. And my favorite is having Rose as like, she's like, move aside, move aside. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, thanks, Rose. Like, really given some really important directions here.
0: But actually, though, what I had written was that I like the way... So they make a point to show Jack. They make a point for him to, like, look around, try to see what there is that he can do. Like, what Mm -hmm. is something I can do here? Like, is there anything I can use to our advantage right now and he looks and sees the bench and Rose notices almost immediately what his idea is. Yeah. And I and I really like that. So like right away she starts telling everybody to move aside. That Tommy give me in. And it's kind of like them working as a little team there mm-hmm. uh, in a way because we were just previously talking about how like in the shut up scene where they're yelling at mm-hmm. the steward as they walk away holding hands. Mm-hmm. That comes across as the fact that they would have been friends regardless of whether or not they were lovers or whatever. They just no, they read
2: each other very well. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But I think that's also the thing is that the whole movie, we get the sense that Jack is a survivor. He calls himself, like, you know, he's a, he's a survivor and that he has these instincts that the characters do want to follow him. I think mm-hmm. DiCaprio plays Jack in a way that, even as we're joking about it, he does have that kind of something that, mm-hmm. that makes you want to follow him or view him as a leader. And I think the whole movie, we have that aura and vibe about him, even if we didn't necessarily think of it in those terms. And this is the scene that actually sees it really come to fruition this is why we're following jack it's a win for the characters i mean it's a moment of extreme injustice and then we do get that release where things are go okay for those characters in that moment they kind of they get through to the next step in survival um but yeah i think seeing all the characters work together in that scene is a is really great Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: and it took a character who had been through all kinds of nonsense with being, like, handcuffed and uh, set up and stuff, where all these, the other people in that class are just, they're obviously trying to get out, but he's like, okay, this is enough. I've gone through all this hell, and what? this frivolous gate is not standing in my way. Right. <laughs> like, I finally conquered the harder obstacles. I'm, I've gotten this far. You're not telling me I can't get through because of some stupid gate.
0: You're so right.
1: Yeah, so it took that. To, to kind of just be like, dude, this is enough, man.
0: Yeah. On the audio commentary, James Cameron said that the movie kind of turns into an action movie here. And he goes, but that's okay. <laughs> and I'm like, of course it's okay to James Cameron. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's okay.
0: And he said there's a good, he likes the dynamic energy. And he also loves the way that Leo played this moment of sighing and then coming back with this fury. <laughs>
2: pause before he it like god damn it son of a bitch and just starts like that's it's like a there's like a, a switch that flips and you see leo play it that way and i think that's yeah. part of why i love him in that scene so much is it's not just that it turns into angry leo you see the switch flip mm-hmm. in that moment and then that's when you know obviously they go for the bench but when he starts shaking that gate i was like leo is so good in this scene he's so good in this whole movie and i I, I never think he got enough credit for his performance.
1: Yeah, it's probably the best acting he's he did the whole movie because also, I mean, he's a good-looking dude. He's charming, and the, the other scenes require him to be charming. And so this one, he doesn't have to be that. He just has to get to point from point A to point B and right. totally delivers. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yes, so they, Fabrizio, Jack, and Tommy, they work together to pull up this bench that is, like, bolted to the ground, obviously, I'm assuming, because they are on a ship. I never got that when I was a kid. There's, like, so many things. I'm just like, wait, what? Like, why do they have to rip the thing off the <laughs> ground? I don't know the historical commentary mentioned that there's plywood but that like wasn't really a thing at the time like there's plywood on the set but there wasn't plywood (laughs) on titanic you know yeah but so james cameron claims that something like this did really happen with a couple of irish guys who knocked down a gate but he did make an interesting point that when they did inquiries and stuff for the titanic afterwards like after the sinking they didn't really care to get stories and testimony from third-class passengers Hmm. That's just something he said. He's like, you have to remember, like, they weren't really interviewing third-class passengers for what happened. So there probably are a lot of stories like this. (laughs) This was kind of him taking those liberties of being like, yeah, I bet something like this probably (laughs) happened, and I'm going to throw it in there. And then something I love as well though the way you know we're talking about how Jack got you know super angry in this moment and he's dedicated to you know ramming this gate down and of course they're successful and they do it and then immediately as soon as the gate is down and they make their way through he switches back to soft Leo and he's like come on Rose (laughs) (laughs) that's
2: what He loses it. It's not. Like, it's it's a switch. And he goes crazy. And then he's normal again. It's just so cute. He's just suddenly all
0: soft and sweet. He's like, let's go. Rose grabs (laughs) her hand and they just walk away together. I'm like, oh, my goodness. (laughs) He just went insane. (laughs) (laughs) And then we
2: have Tommy punching the guy.
0: Yep. So then we have the steward saying, you can't go up there. You can't do this. And just... Punches the guy, and of course, on the audio commentary, James Cameron said that Tommy clocking the steward is a personal favorite moment of his. <laughs> Once again, of course, it is for
2: James Cameron. Right. Those are the little like funny moments. Like there's that. There's another, There's so many moments like that in Titanic. Yeah,
1: and it's not. It's not really unrealistic either. It's not like a Marvel movie where you have dudes like cracking jokes when the world is about to end. Like, right. They fit into the context of what's going on. Exactly. But, yeah.
2: Right. It's not, I think that's exactly right they're not they're not cracking jokes it's more of like yeah he does want to punch him right now because that guy yeah for all purposes was like it's okay if you die. And what's what's crazy to me though is that this is the second steward we see a character
0: punch, like these poor stewards.
1: That's true, yeah. <laughs> right?
0: And the way James Cameron's like, yeah, this was a personal favorite moment of mine. I just like punching these stewards apparently.
2: Punching these guys who are having a pretty hard time also.
1: <laughs> he's just u- he's just using this this movie as a personal vendetta.
2: It's awful. <laughs> I'm
0: like, oh my goodness. Sometimes we'll say, like, maybe that was, like, one too many things happening in in the movie. And I'm like, yeah, that's two stewards that were punched. (laughs) I'm like, that's a little little
1: much.
0: Also, right about here is where there was another deleted line of dialogue, Ethan.
1: Oh, nice. Let's get it.
0: So, like I said, I've been sharing these lines (laughs) of deleted dialogue that are just ridiculous most of the time. And it's insane that they were even written... So instead of Tommy punching the steward, (gasps) we were originally going to get a line from Rose (laughs) that is just so rambly and so unnatural in the moment that I am very glad it was cut. Rose was supposed to go to the steward and say, quote, if you have any intention of keeping your pathetic job with the White Star Line, I suggest you escort these good people to the boat deck now. <laughs> oh
2: god.
1: <laughs> James Cameron, this is too long of a line.
2: Keeping your job? The ship is sinking. We don't have any lifeboats,
0: Rose. <laughs> and not only that, she's calling working for the White Star Line pathetic. It's Like, so what are we what are we doing here? What is this line?
1: It's a mouthful, too. Like, by the time she's done with it, the the ship's going to be in the ocean already. The ship
2: is already fully sunk. No,
0: but it's terrible. I'm like, why would he give her this long Like It's just not natural at all. You're not going to go through this big moment of... Insanity knocking this gate down just to stop and say, "If you have any intention of keeping your pathetic job at the White Star Line, I suggest you escort these good people to the boat deck now."
1: Yeah, like we, no. Yeah, Jack's going be like, "Rose, come on, we gotta go."
2: That's when stop that's time. when Jack gets really angry again.
1: The flip switches again. He just gets angry. Rose, enough. Because
2: she wants to pick a fight with
1: the steward. <laughs> oh my oh, goodness, that's good.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's too much. So I guess in the moment, James Cameron was like, I'm going to give this moment to Tommy. He said he's been given like a quietly like understated performance the whole time. And he's like, "Look, let's give him a moment. Mm-hmm. And I love Tommy.
2: I feel like I, I wish Tommy had more moments because anytime there's a scene with him, I think it's a great scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I can't say the same for Fabrizio. <laughs> oh, poor guy. Yeah. Fabrizio, I think that this, this scene starts like right when they all come together was... He's like Fabrizio, and then he goes, "There's miente this way," <laughs> <Yep>. yeah, <laughs> or something. And I was like, "Come
1: on." <laughs> <laughs> Tommy definitely grounds the lower class, I think. Whereas, I mean, he he like resembles them. I think he's he's mm-hmm. the, the like the epitome of them. Where I mean, Jack obviously, but he's also the protagonist or one of the protagonists. But Tommy's there to kind of resemble that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely love Tommy. Yeah.
0: Right about now is also where the deleted scene of Captain Smith with the megaphone would have been. I had t- the one we had talked about, Ethan, where we <laughs> forgot the name of a megaphone and we were like, "What is that thing called?" Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I didn't see the scene though, but yeah, I know. It's, yeah, yeah, it was we it, it was about, during
0: yeah. the women and children first scene. Mm-hmm. So that would have been right around here where Captain Smith makes a plea uh, to lifeboat mm-hmm. six to come back to the ship. The boat just keeps rowing out and he calls them fools. So that was a deleted scene there. And then there was another deleted scene slash line right after this as well that was just, it was never shot. It was just cut from the screenplay, but it's still in the screenplay. So we were supposed to get a shot of card players just a couple of guys sitting around playing a game of cards and a cart with cigars on them or something was supposed to roll by them because the ship's on a bit of an incline now (laughs) and one of the guys was supposed to reach out and grab one of the cigars and then one of the guys at the table was supposed to say quote It seems we've been dealt a bad hand this time. Oh,
1: goodness.
2: Oh, boy.
0: (laughs) And I was like, okay, first of all, They've already done too many poker and yeah. card game metaphors and lines. Right. They literally used the being dealt a hand line with Jack already at the first class dinner and everything, where he yeah. said, you never know what hand you're going to get dealt next, blah, blah, blah. And then he also added it here for these random guys to say the same thing. Yeah,
1: p- plus, it's like how he got on the Titanic in the first place was the poker. Right. Game, yeah. So.
0: You got nothing. You yeah. got nothing to lose. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But, nope, they were going to throw in oh, another.
2: Man. And also, like, I feel like that's an example of, like, those one of those, like, inappropriately comedic
0: yeah. kind of, yeah, like, exactly. like, that, yeah. I
2: would say, is yeah. you know, is on the line of good taste when you're like, we've gotten a bad hand. You're like, well, yeah, a lot of people died. Yeah, <laughs> it was a it's bad terrible. Hand. It's a, yeah,
1: that's shoehorning a scene to, to put a joke in, yeah.
2: A joke in, because all these people are going to die, they did get a bad yeah, exactly. hand. So, like, yeah. I think that's almost, like, sounds in the vane of making light of the facts that people are going to die so i think you know beyond it being corny i feel like i'm I'm glad he left that one
0: out yes the the worst offender of that has to be the molly brown deleted scene with the how about a little
2: ice (gasps) oh gosh yeah
1: they filmed that one right they filmed that one yes
2: after seeing all the deleted scenes and including the alternate ending which is a whole other discussion of, yeah. of, of crazy I I really admire his ability to see the scenes and see that they don't work because mm-hmm. a, a lot of filmmakers I think don't always have that self-awareness to know when something is not fully landing and I think mm-hmm. Cameron has really good sense of that because the ones that didn't make it in are the ones that i am <laughs> actually find myself like I'm like I can't believe that was almost there and so I think um you know, he, he had someone, either a good script doctor or he was a good script doctor for himself because yeah. the things that needed to make it in did make it in.
0: <laughs> and with, like, collaboration in the moment and on the set and just during the whole process, you know, he was open to collaboration, which Mm -hmm. definitely saved the movie in many cases. Mm -hmm. Like so many things we've talked about, like Rose was going to spit after the steward that she punched instead of Cal. And it was her idea to be like, I should spit after Cal. And it's like, great idea. (laughs) It's like, yes. Thank God. (laughs) Makes a moment. But yeah, like imagine if he wasn't and he really was like as much of a crazy dictator as people try to make him seem like. And he was like, nope, we are doing this my way or
2: the highway. Oh, If we we had that alternate ending, I don't I don't know if Titanic is the same movie with that alternate ending. I don't I don't don't know what would have happened to this movie. That sounds ridiculous to say, but like that scene really ruins the movie no it's true like if that was there I, I i really don't know so
0: everything's kind of spelled out for us like old rose like they notice her standing on the rail of the keldish
1: oh yeah 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 yeah, that's right yeah right. and they
0: run over to her and there's this big moment and they try to talk yeah. her down and she
1: i watched it i did watch this Yeah. yeah
0: because that would have been one of the last things you're left with mm-hmm. and then like it doesn't matter how good the rest of the movie was that's the last thing you see and you're gonna yeah. be like
2: yeah, that kinda of ruined it. Everything was good until If you don't stick the landing, nobody cares what happened before it. Yeah. Even though the whole heaven slash dream sequence
0: comes after that, it still it takes you out of it for that whole section and then you're back
2: to that. The the fact is that like having Brock cease allows her to throw the the heart of the ocean into the water completely ruins everything because it's a person who's in a totally different headspace allowing something fairly preposterous mm-hmm. to happen and you know that's the thing is we we are all on board with rose in the context of the movie like but you can't have another character be brought into that yeah
0: yeah
1: that's true very good point yeah.
0: mhm even though you know he was supposed to have learned the lesson by this point <laughs> i know he was supposed to learn
2: I, I don't think he would have learned the lesson <laughs>
0: All right, so after that, so Tommy punches the steward and they head up trying to get to the boat decks. Then we get more wide shots of the sinking and the giant set and lifeboats being launched. And there is an increased feeling of chaos, definitely. I think Tommy's punch punctuated that and obviously breaking down the gate as well. So now we're seeing things like a first class woman falling off of the deck onto the edge of a lifeboat and needing to be pulled Mm -hmm. off of that and back onto Mm -hmm. a lower deck. So we see Light Toller, uh, and he's demanding order from the passengers on the deck who are waiting for boats. And he threatens to shoot them all like dogs. And that was apparently an ad lib, the
1: I'll shoot you all like dogs. Those actors, I guess, were tasked with like keep- keeping order among the extras or something. Uh, like James Cameron wanted them to keep order just on set, kind of in character, I guess.
2: Huh. yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: she
2: has the bible
0: (laughs) in the screenplay thing it says Cameron said I often told them to stay in character and keep order for me while I was off shooting some other angle they went hoarse from screaming orders at the background performers when Jonathan Phillips who played Lightoller whipped around with that gun and roared I'll shoot you all like dogs I loved it I ran up to him and said that that was great and he should do it again he said what did I say he was so into it by that point he didn't even remember
2: (laughs) Well, also, it does, is it just me or there's something about the like inflection he's using in his voice in that scene? Where he goes, "Keep order, I say." Yeah, <laughs> that, like I think I'm just like randomly like going about my day sometimes, and I hear that in my head. <laughs> Get back,
0: I say, or I'll
2: shoot you all like dogs. Keep order here. Keep order, I say. I'm on this boat.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, there's so many, so many quirks like that with this movie. Like people's cadence and yeah. the way they say lines are just ingrained in our brains.
2: That one specifically, though.
0: <laughs> and yeah, so he's threatening them with this gun, but then he turns around and loads it secretly. Now, what do I have here in the historical uh, commentary? They said that Lightoller admitted to Colonel Gracie on the Carpathia that he did use his gun. But then in his memoirs, he claimed that he only had an unloaded revolver. But then at the official inquiries, he said that he didn't have a gun at all. So he was—he had three different stories going, it seems like. I don't know. Sounds like he had a gun. Yeah. Yeah,
1: sounds
2: like.
0: <laughs> yeah, no. But the historians agreed that they think shots were definitely fired that night. But that is crazy. I feel like that's also a testament to how tough it is sometimes to get the true <laughs> facts of, you know, yeah. what happened, what didn't, because there are still so many conflicting reports. So now we see people trying to climb onto the lowering lifeboats from the various decks, um, and they're being swatted and pushed away. Things are just going a little bit crazy. We see cal and lovejoy and lovejoy tells cal to stay with murdoch because he quote seems to be quite practical and suddenly we hear these panicked screams and we get this shot now of lifeboat 15 being lowered right on top of lifeboat 13
1: yeah this part was interesting i did I, is this really happened? or
0: yes this really happened yeah that's crazy mm-hmm
1: yeah, that, it was pretty intriguing. I, I was trying to, at first I wasn't sure, and then I was like, oh, it's, like, collapsing on those people. Yep. Yeah. Jeez.
0: And it really escalates the fear and the panic and the sense of confusion, like, no one knows what's going on, <laughs> that they're lowering on top of this poor boat. The historians who were on set said that the extras in Boat 13, who had to, like, scream to try to say, stop, stop, they were so convincing that the Boat 15 on the set would actually stop. <laughs> <laughs> That's a testament to the performances there and how real everything was feeling on set in that moment. Yeah. And I think you feel that. Yeah, uh, for
2: sure.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So Cal witnesses this and Billy Zane gets whimsical at this moment.
1: It's starting to fall apart. We don't
0: have much time. <laughs> like, what is this change? He almost seems like he's trying to be emotional and care now. He's like, it's starting to fall apart. We don't have much time. <laughs> He's a national treasure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <Yes>. he is. <laughs> and because he he makes those faces now. He's making those faces like I, raising the eyebrow. Oh my god, the <laughs> eyebrows. <laughs> the look of concern.
1: He's he's so good in this movie though. I mean, he really this is. movie would be if it was somebody else it would be totally different. Like I know. <laughs> you need Billy Zane in this movie for sure.
2: <laughs> 100%. Yeah. I I love <laughs> Billy Zane in this movie so much. Like I, my whole life, I'm like, I really want to meet Billy Zane. Like I really, yeah. really, really want to meet him. He does seem yeah. pretty cool. Seems like a fun guy.
0: <laughs> so I feel like over time, as like a society, we used to think, oh, Billy Zane's performance is so campy and hammy, it's bad. And now we're at a point where we're like, oh no, this is great. This is perfect. He did exactly what
2: he should have done. <laughs> it's perfect. Yeah. He knew the assignment. Yeah. Like totally. I think he brings so much. To to it and it's something that Billy Zane does to it you kind of get the guy even if you don't like him you sort of you're kind of like god this guy's a jerk he, <laughs> but like I know who he is he
1: makes sense to his own logic yeah he right. like everything he, makes sense to Cal and we were talking uh, at the end of the last episode and we were, I asked Brittany, who is like your least favorite character? We both, I think, said Lovejoy. Yes. And my thing was, Cal is just an idiot. Like he's just selfish and he's an idiot. But Lovejoy is to me like the real villain. And you need the Lovejoy because Cal is a different type of villain. He'll plant the thing in Jack's pocket or whatever. He'll set that up. But it's Lovejoy who's going to follow through with it. You need both of those guys, mm. I think.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think Lovejoy is definitely my least favorite. Every time I watch this movie, I'm like, why does this guy, like, why is he doing all of this? He's
1: infuriating. <laughs> he makes me so mad. Like, why does he care so much? Yes. Why
2: does he care? Like, okay, Cal's paying you well. But then he seems to have a, a special, like, ven- like, more of a vendetta on top of that. Like, when he, like, punches Jack in the stomach while he's handcuffed. So I was like, Cal's not here. <laughs>
1: exactly You're right Yeah, There's so much to think about Like why does he hate A guy like Jack so much You know you can build A backstory about Lovejoy Just from like How he treats Jack Right
2: yeah. We're all dying here <laughs> And you still are doing These shenanigans Lovejoy Yeah Cause it's also You know
0: He's working For Cal It's not like He's a f- Crazy first class man Or something You know He's working yeah. For Cal Right you know? yep. I don't know We left off I think when Billy Zane was, you know, he does, it's starting to fall apart. And right around there is when I think there was also going to be that really, really, really short deleted scene of dogs running across the deck. Cal is just kind of standing there and he sees some dogs like run across the deck. Another layer of chaos, <laughs> the poor things, but we've talked about that before. That, like the inclusion of dogs is just even more sad. These poor little animals. Yeah,
2: you're like, I can't do this
0: cal starts to seek out murdoch to bribe him basically and ensure his place on a boat uh and he says it by saying mr murdoch
1: mr Hartley, you two with me now i'm a businessman as you know and i have a business proposition for you
2: <laughs>
0: it's like a business proposition <laughs>
2: Just say what you're doing. Be like, I will give you money to make sure I get a life phone. You don't need to use all these extra words. Cal, not doing you any favors.
1: I don't remember what happens to that, to his character, but...
2: When he gives the money to, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we'll get into that. But after
0: that, well, I, I also want to make a point to say that as cal is trying to tell murdoch this murdoch is preoccupied you know he's going like you two with me now like blah 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 he's still trying to whatever and cal's like you know trying to make this business proposition happen but murdoch is still very much doing his thing he's just like yeah mr Hockley. uh so that's just i wanted to just note that quickly then we see jack rose tommy and fabrizio arrive on the boat deck obviously in search of a lifeboat and they're all gone. And we get more of Kate Winslet's old Hollywood movie style line yep. reading of
2: the boats are gone. <laughs> <sighs> yeah.
1: I've never heard such a void in an accent in my entire life. <laughs> like, there's absolutely no accent at all happening.
0: <laughs> oh man. And
1: I'm from California where like they say there's like no accent here or whatever. But yeah, it is absolutely... It's like the flattest accent ever.
0: (laughs) No, it's true. (laughs) The boats are gone. (laughs) So they ask Colonel Gracie there uh, for help, just asking if he knows if there are any boats. And he goes, oh, no, but there are a few down this way. I'll I'll lead you. And they just take off. Every time I see that scene, I'm like, did this poor man really think that he was going to lead them all the way down the length of Titanic to where there were other boats? It's like, I feel... The poor guy. He's like, oh, this way, I'll lead you. (laughs) That's not happening. Off they go. So then we see the band, again, who are getting bumped Mm -hmm. into by passengers, uh, obviously, as things are starting to escalate. And they consider stopping and they're like what's the use nobody's listening to us anyway and then wallace hartley says well they don't listen to us at dinner either so come on let's just keep <laughs> going and he has a point and i did note that the historians also laughed at that line on the other thing and they said the same thing they said true that's a good point
2: is this only we get the tommy line yes
0: yeah, so say they maybe. say let's keep playing orpheus and they play this upbeat song you know. Come on, let's play. Keep us warm. Orpheus.
1: Music to drown by.
2: Now I know I'm in first class.
0: Tommy goes running by and says, quote, music to drown by. Now I know I'm in first class. I
2: love that line.
0: <laughs> I do too, but at the same time, yeah. every time I do hear that part, I'm like, that does feel a little harsh. Yeah, it does. I
2: mean, it It does. <laughs>
1: I, I, I love this because it just shows, like, the difference in our viewpoint of art over the last century, over more than a century. We watch this movie now and we see the violinists, how they keep playing. It's it's like a beautiful statement about, like, the importance of, of art or, like, the perseverance of art. Back then, uh, art was very much reserved for, like, the upper class, whereas, you know, it wasn't until, like, film came out where... Populous art was actually like viewed and dissected as actual art. Before that, it wasn't really viewed that way. It was viewed for mm-hmm. the rich people. It's interesting to watch that now and how we romanticize the violins who keep playing. Mm-hmm. People who are on the lower class were probably like, dude, what are you guys doing? Like, this is absolutely ridiculous. You guys are still playing. Yeah. Yeah. It was no good point and also the Orpheus thing too there's like a symbolism with Orpheus because Orpheus was trying to save his wife from the underworld or something and then oh
2: is that and
1: then like she ends up like falling in anyway but yeah in any way but it's like I guess anticipating Rose with Jack who Jack is like at the end obviously everyone knows he plummets basically to his death underwater and so it's kind of similar to what happened with Orpheus and whatever his wife's name was
0: And interestingly, again, there's another little blurb, how the audience during test screenings and stuff had just this strange reaction to the band and how they just didn't believe it. They didn't believe that the band would be playing and it just seemed really over the top and so they had to keep putting in these little things to ease the audience into this so that actually <laughs> did happen right. yeah. Like we don't need to ease you into it
2: it is real but like we'll we'll hold your hand here
0: and so there was <laughs> something a little bit more here as well so it says during production cameron realized that he needed an extra beat to account for the time it would take jack and the others to run 200 feet down the boat deck to where the band was playing he and jonathan evans jones who played wallace hartley improvised the line they don't listen to us at dinner either expressly for this purpose Hmm. cameron feels it had the added benefit of shoring up the band's motivation to continue playing helping to alleviate audience concerns discussed earlier (laughs) i'm like they really had a lot of concerns for the audience not (laughs) buying into the band interesting oh and side note On the audio commentary, James Cameron says that they found out that you could actually run end-to-end of the ship in about a minute. Because he was like, remember, we did build the entire Titanic, and while we filmed this, we found out that they could make it in about a minute. I was like, wow. Interesting.
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs>
0: what is that so but yeah again still room for comedy as we said mm-hmm. <laughs> in this moment with Tommy yep yeah but that line it's still so harsh though the way he says music to drown by I'm like eh.
2: it's, a, it's a it's a visual on top of yes. being like yeah.
0: of you know something very real that did happen you know right yeah. We see Murdoch seemingly trying to find more people to try to get on a boat, and he asks where everyone is, and he's told that they're all still aft. And then we see Cal say, we have an understanding then, Mr. Murdoch, and stuffs like a whole stack of 20s into Murdoch's pocket, and Murdoch doesn't say anything. He just looks at Cal with this face and (laughs) continues on.
2: blank, kind of. Stare.
0: <laughs> yeah. This is like kind of getting into the whole Murdoch controversy because there's some controversy surrounding Cameron's portrayal of this character, uh, leading up to his end, this, the way this character goes out. Um, so this is like kind of the beginning of this. So, This whole bribe thing did not go over well with Murdoch's descendants and his hometown. So James Cameron admits that, you know, there was no historical evidence of Murdoch being anything other than a stand-up officer, but he threw this little storyline in there. And the historians, Don Lynch, he said he disagrees with the inclusion and he knows James Cameron knows that he disagrees, but he also believes that Cameron has the right to put it in his movie because it is historical fiction. And they also say that the bribe is kind of vague enough because he doesn't say anything. And then that was another decision that Cameron made. Um, So there was originally a line there. When Cal says, we have an understanding, Murdoch was supposed to say, as you've said, and give a nod. But James Cameron said that that line was eliminated because he didn't want Murdoch accepting Cal's bribe outright.
2: But we see him accept it. We see him later uh, do his part to fulfill the the agreement by that moment where he looks at Cal for like Anyone else, 10 seconds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then he goes, he did have that moment where he was fulfilling his true part of the bargain. True. I mean, granted, it was, it was a flash. He didn't say, okay, I'm accepting your money and now letting you on, but he does look at him very clearly as like that was your window man Mm -hmm. and then he obviously takes it back when he throws the money at him but i i mean i i get it if that was my family member you're like putting into a major movie you know from someone who's made a movie that is very historically accurate and prides himself on the historical accuracy and then has a character doing a morally questionable action i i would be upset by that you know I could see why that, you know, it almost wish there was a character that was, didn't have a name or that wasn't based on someone real that was doing it. Yep. Is my only thing if I could rewrite it.
0: mm mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, James Cameron has said mm-hmm. the same thing. He admitted. He's like, I should have made him a generic officer.
2: Mm-hmm. Not Mr. Murdoch. Like, like you know, like a name that we actually could say this is a real person who did X, y, Z.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah. But I wanted to point out that he said he wanted to imply that Murdoch was too preoccupied with other matters to deal with it at that moment, Mm -hmm. which is kind of just goes Mm. back to what I was saying about how he, they made a point to show him just still doing his job even though Cal was talking to him. Mm -hmm. And then he gives him the money and he's just like,
2: yeah, I don't have time for this.
1: Yeah,
0: And yeah, and then that's James Cameron again with his artistic license. Going back to Lightoller as well, there's a little blurb Here, too, about whether or not Lightoller used his gun, which I already mentioned, but Cameron said at the inquiries, Lightoller denied firing his gun, but he also said that the ship didn't break in two, so it's possible to question his testimony, and later in life, he admitted to using a gun in a private letter. Since there was supporting historical evidence, and because it is more dramatic, I chose to show him shooting." Light Toller was presented as a young British hero in a night to remember Our Light Toller is hanging on by his fingernails. because I know as far as you know issues people take with the movie, things like this come up a lot.
2: It's though, there's there's so many movies based on historical events that I feel like people don't nitpick the same way. Maybe it's because we hold Titanic to a higher standard and Cameron to a higher standard. Titanic is hardly the movie only movie based on true events. Mm -hmm. I mean, granted, they are real people, so a tiny liberty is a big liberty to someone else, Mm -hmm. but I think Cameron is really good with historical accuracy overall.
1: Also, James Cameron, like, establishes right away his main characters are just not, they're not real. So he's already establishing, he's saying, okay, this is going to be a made-up story because it's about two made-up people. So everything around it, all the context around it is going to be, you know, we're going to take a little liberties, and within that those confines he's still it, it's probably like the most accurate
2: uh, yeah, true
1: story <laughs> yeah. ever put on film
2: and you have to take artistic liberties you can't y- you have to we, none, yeah. none of us were there so like you you need to fill in the gaps for
1: and even the people who were there can't even get the story right Yeah, so. they
2: can't even get the story right yeah so I you know I do think that I I can understand why like you know if you're gonna put a specific action that might be viewed negatively on a character that I can understand why he would have wished he did it on a not named real person on the ship, but other than that, I'm yeah. like, dude, the guy at break, he worked really hard.
1: Also, like, like for me, when when you know, I recall memories from my life, and I definitely put like a cinematic spin on them. Mm-hmm. So, like, if I were a director telling a true story, like you're like, okay, there is some cinematic uh, revisions that you make when you retell a true story. Just like I do that in my head with my own story, So, I mean, like if I w- if someone were making a story about my life. I would totally expect them to make it like embellish certain things or like whatever. Right. Cause,
2: <laughs> I would embellish my own life. <laughs> exactly.
1: Like that's how I would have done it. So, yeah. Oh, I agree. Yeah. Mm.
2: Yeah. So
0: that is where I have the end of the scene marked uh, for today's episode. <laughs> is there anything else you want to share, Lauren? I don't know. Anything maybe you thought of during the conversation that you wanted to say? Because I know there's obviously so much more we could talk about, just about Titanic in general. Just while we have you here, I guess. Yeah, no,
2: no extra things really. I mean, we we covered a lot, but I mean, I love I love Titanic so much. I love talking to you guys, seeing how much you guys love Titanic and how much you know about Titanic, and that we can laugh about the deleted scenes. I think I learned so much from you about the lines and stuff um, that I didn't even know were originally in the script. And yeah, the, the gate scene is the best scene in the movie. I'm sorry. (laughs) I just... It's true, and anyone who doesn't agree, I feel like we can't be friends. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. I don't... Yeah, so I was gonna say, like, is
0: there anything else? Maybe, like... uh, I I think we probably covered it but just in relation to that particular scene the the gate scene like is there anything else
2: i'm curious i'm curious why like why it's one of your favorite scenes and to hear ethan's perspective on it because i feel like you didn't talk too much about the scene ethan maybe because i was going on about i love leo so much he's so cute (laughs) no you did
1: it you did it justice so i yeah i I will say it's not my favorite scene but i'd like it
2: (laughs) Mm -hmm. okay look like we can still be friends. Brittany, why do, why is it one of your favorites?
0: Um,
1: it's funny, though. I don't know if it's, like, one of my
0: favorites, but it just happens to be one of the scenes that I revisit a lot. Yeah. So, when I get into those moods where I'm like, oh, I, I need a Titanic fix, there are, like, a few scenes I'll pull up, and, like, that's one of them. What are my other ones? Like, the, the the moment right before the ship takes the final plunge and the sinking, I pull that one up. I think we talked about the scene in the in the hallway with the water. Rushing in? yes. When when he's running and holding the little boy, yes, that's another one. But again, I think that one too. I I relate with the Jack and Leo angle because like seeing him be very like a father figure in that moment for this little boy, yeah. There's something sweet about that too. That um, but and just the visuals. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, but this scene is like kind of like the same thing, I guess. I, it's just one of those moments where everything kind of, I don't know how to describe it. Like there's like a. A brief pause there, you know, before he goes w- insane for a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's just something about it. There's, like, that communal aspect of the other passengers there, and it's just, like, I guess, like we've said, it's it's a release uh, of some sorts, cathartic, I guess, in this moment for yeah. all the characters involved, and I guess maybe there's just something about that that's appealing to rewatch. And as James Cameron said, it's when the, it's kicked into an action movie a little bit here, so it has a mm-hmm almost like a little bit of a different feel than some other scenes in
2: the movie, I feel like. Cameron's version of what an action scene means with the cow chasing them with a the gun, mm-hmm. like this, which, you know, there's these scenes that have a an energy that is different than the other scenes before, even though technically we're like, yeah, this is all kind of like a, the ship is sinking. We're in full crazy mode here, but it is, they have a different energy to them, and I think they play differently, They but they don't feel out of place somehow. That's the thing, is even though the energy is is strange when it comes to cal chasing them with a the gun it doesn't feel wrong <laughs> no yeah yeah and same with the gate so i think uh, i think he's very good at i giving you these bursts and then going back and then giving the bursts and and the comedy and he mixes everything into this last hour and a half that like drains you in the best way possible by the end of the movie mm-hmm.
1: yeah he's really good at that i mean even look at terminator 2 It's one of my favorite mm-hmm. movies also um even like Avatar, like he does that. Like he finds ways to balance every element of the movie along the way. It's really good. Yeah.
2: He earns every minute of his runtime for sure.
1: Yeah, definitely.
2: <laughs> I mean, if that's everything, then that'll be All
0: we have today for this episode. So thank you so much, Lauren, for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you. It was great to speak with you. It's always nice to have another (laughs) Titanic fan come on. Thank you so much for having me. I had a blast. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I'm glad. Uh, Yeah, it was so much fun. And I I love how there's so much overlap. Like just as you were sharing a little bit of your Titanic origin story and just (laughs) other little things you'd say are like exact things that I have said in the past.
2: i love it i know there's not there's not so many of us in the world it feels like and but we're all bonded somehow by this
0: it's very interesting yeah so i guess i guess that'll just about do it for open the gate scene 26 thank you guys so much for listening we really really appreciate it be sure to follow us on all of the socials all of the links will be in the description of this podcast episode. And Lauren, I'll be sure to put your information in the description as well, so you guys can follow her everywhere. You on Butterboxed at all?
2: Yep, Letterboxd, uh, Twitter and Instagram.
0: Okay,
1: cool. Follow her everywhere.
2: All the things. <laughs> we'll
0: put all your info down there. Yeah, so be sure to send us a voice message via the link in the description as well. Send us an email, scene at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you and all of that good stuff. And we will see you in the next scene.
1: See ya.